All right. So excited to have Chance here today. Chance Deshaw Prescott. Uh, we've known each other probably f- four or five years now. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. And started, so uh, when I started training. So. Yeah. Met at the gym. <laughs> you were a trainer. Uh, it was a it was a weird time for me, but super glad I did because I met you out of it. You know, met a couple people that are really still stay closely connected out of it. And just being able to connect, I think probably where we connect more than anything was obviously in health. But then uh, we connected in the extreme sports world. You know, me growing up with a, not not near the level of, you know, extreme, of, I would say, is you, you know, in in snowboarding. But I definitely could do a little bit, you know, but. <laughs> Uh, seeing the world that you live in and being a competitive alpine skier is that the the, the term that you would use for it? Um, yeah. yeah, alpine uh, or yeah, free ride is what I do. But free ride, yeah, free ride specifically, yeah. yeah. So free ride competitions, which is you know an amazing thing. And so I'm really glad that you said yes to coming on, especially this like short window. You're going to be up here for Slush Cup and then back down to Park City. And so uh, really grateful to have you. Yeah, stoked to be here. It's uh, nice being home. Obviously enjoying the views. Yeah. Can't complain. No, you can't. I mean, Park City's got its views. You know, Utah's got its views. It's just they're different big. everywhere. <laughs> just yeah. not as big. Not as big. <laughs> Lots of views, just yeah. uh, rolling hills versus uh, massive mountains. Right, right. But, I mean, it's got – Utah's a place that Chelsea and I looked at landing for a long time, and mm-hmm. we just decided against it. Yeah, I mean, it's um, just got a little more uh, going on, a little more opportunity it's hard to beat when you got 10 ski resorts within 30 minutes of your house. Yeah, and yeah. Did you see that Alieska just recently launched, I can't remember what the name of the pass is, but it's Icon. like... Icon. Icon, that's yeah, right. So yep. they're, they're joining the Icon Pass, which works for me too, because uh, that's most of the resorts in Utah are all on Icon. So Right. So, But now, you know, like if you get an Icon Pass, you come visit me. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean... Come ski snowboard. No, I would be all about it. I'll be all about it. So I uh, wanted to get you on because it, I just, again, conversations all about people through my relationships that are living a life of success. And my definition of success is people that are doing what they love at a high level, right? Yeah. And enjoying it. And I don't think I could think of someone better than you doing that, doing what you do in skiing, but then also going to school to be a doctor while you're doing it it's a, an oppressive resume, you know, when you look at it. And so talk to me about what got you into this world of health, but like skiing and, you know, let's just start there. Um, well, it all just started with skiing. Yeah. <laughs> That's where everything started for me, at least. Um, mom had me on skis at 14 months and then I did racing and skier cross and slope style and half pipe and then, um, joined the team in Squaw Valley and it was, best thing ever happened my mom just like pack it up one summer and we're gonna move into Tahoe (laughs) and uh, yeah I got the best training in the world from the Squaw Valley Freestyle team and uh, my coaches took me under the wing and we're like hey dude you'd be good at Big Mountain coming from Alaska it's kind of just natural fit (laughs) right and uh, next thing I know I'm competing in Big Mountain and did a few years in Tahoe did a year in Utah came back here and then um, you know I had to figure out a little bit more about what I was doing after high school like it was like I don't know like I'm gonna live on my own trying to work in the summer trying to you know like how do you figure it out with the skiing thing because you can't work in the winter so it's it's like just doing whatever you can to make money while you can and then taking off the winter and you know getting some support between sponsors and family and um that's just kind of making it happen but the whole thing with health honestly came from uh 
road trips, just listening to podcasts and listening to different people's career paths. And it was, it was really cool. And then the next thing I know, I was like, oh, well, how do I tie in all this experience from skiing <laughs> and then also like have a job that would like at least relate somewhat? Because, you know, you spent 20 years on something like it's hard to just be like, oh, I'm just going to do something totally different and have it not be relevant to, you know, my next career. Yeah. I tell people that, especially younger people, when I'm talking to them, they're like, well, I don't know what I want to do. And it's honestly one of the motivations behind them. Like, whatever you do, I don't care what it is, just make sure what you're doing can lead to the next thing, mm-hmm. right? Whatever you're doing. I don't, and there's, there's a lot of ways you can make a lot of things connect if you're looking through that lens when you're doing it. Totally. So that's amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't think it was ever like intentional. It just kind of all just came together and then the picture became clearer and clearer. And, um, you know, so obviously you met me as a young trainer and I think personal training really started it all for me because I loved working with people, I loved getting people healthy, um, seeing results, you know, it was just an amazing thing, you know, and, uh, like when my first client, she lost 60 pounds and I was just like, and then she looked amazing and she like was just living way happier. Um, you know, she got back with her husband, which was really cool. So just like in the end, it just like seemed like it was helping people get their lives back together. And then I was like, well, what's the next progression? Thought physical therapy. And then I was like, well, those guys don't get paid enough and they have a limited scope practice. So it's like, might as well just do one more year of school and do the MD. <laughs> Isn't that unreal? One more year from physical therapy to MD. Yeah. And that's not hating on any of the physical therapists. If you do it, I, my hacks go up, goes off to you. I mean, yeah. that's what I did. I luckily, when I was in PT and very involved in PT full time, I actually ended up training a physical therapist owner, right? Eric at rebound. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. No way. I yeah. 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 Worked with him. Yeah. 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 And when like, I don't know, I've for a long time, I've always been obsessed with like money and how you make money and where does that come from? And when we got to know probably like six months into it and I started to hear like what physical therapists made and what he was making, I was like, man, I'm never going to be a physical therapist. Like <laughs> yeah. I'm well, making <clears throat> just barely less as working as a full-time personal trainer and I don't have to go to the school or anything. You yeah, know? or the $200,000 of debt. Exactly. <laughs> and then the thing that motivated me most was I don't want to work with people that don't want to do it. Yeah. Right. Personal training. Right. Personal training. You're working with people who want to get healthy for the most part. I mean, they fight against it like tooth and nail, but if physical therapy, it's like someone gets hurt and they have to go through physical therapy. And so, but they don't want to be there. They don't show up. They don't do the homework. And like that just immediately, I was like, thank you for training, like training with me, Eric. It definitely, you know, made me make a pivot too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's cool. And, uh, obviously I think it's a really important job. So important. But, um, yeah, they just haven't quite dialed it in enough. And also, like, it's just, it'd be challenging to, like, only be, like, you know, I mean, obviously, as a physical therapist, you do get to, like, do your programming. But in the end, the doctor has the final say, and I don't like that, that idea either. Yeah. So one more year, get to MD. You know, do you have an idea what you what direction you want to go uh, being a doctor? Um, there's a um, type of doctor, it's a physical and medicinal rehabilitation doctor. So what they do is basically it's kind of like a higher level PT. Uh, but you do like steroid injections, you do like nerve blocks. Um, that's kind of like more of like, that's like the procedure side. There's yep. like kind of like two of the main things they would do, but there's, there's plenty of other stuff too. Um, and then if you go the other way, you could be working with people with prosthetics. So if they lost their leg, you teach them how to use like that new prosthetic leg or whatever you like fit them and stuff. And, um, yeah, so like there's kind of just the two routes with that path. But in the end, like I just want to work with athletes. And there's a position at um, the Center of Excellence that like my one day goal would be become the medical director of the Center of Excellence where they train all the uh, Olympic athletes. And so mm. that's kind of like why I like 
being in Park City, you know, I'm around it, um, around the best you know, skiers in the world. And that's where I want to be. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome that you talked even about that because I'm really excited too. Is I think it's in June, uh, a buddy of mine, Mark, who lives in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, he is an engineer for prosthetics. Oh, cool. Literally what he does is design prosthetics. That's rad. Yeah, that would be that would be something I was actually interested in. Because um, one day, at one point in my life, I did want to do engineering. But um, So it would be cool to, like, as a doctor, maybe be involved, you know, but, like, I wouldn't be designing it, but maybe I would be helping with the design process as, like, somebody, you know, with experience working with those type of people. Yeah, that's awesome. So all that to be said, it, you know, the career, at least the, the the absolute passion right now is skiing, though. Correct? Yeah, yeah. And it's always been a, like some years you're like a little more gung ho, some you're not. It's just been tough because obviously, like, you know, school is definitely starting to take precedent. But um, after this year, I uh, yeah, I think the pro skier thing is still a possibility. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there was several years there that it was absolutely a possibility, right? Just in the last few years that you've been doing it more. Is that Yeah, incorrect? the last few years definitely has come right. a long ways. <laughs> so trade basically, right? You've done it high level for the last few years. Now you're probably putting, you know, schooling and getting, you know, finishing out school so you can pursue that career, but then get back to the skiing side of things. Yeah, I mean, it's always just kind of jump, jumping back and forth the last few years. But I think that... Um, if I could get myself a little bit more focused with the skiing, just this like maybe next year or two, because the classes are getting easier now, I think it'd be worth it just because uh, if, if it's going to happen, then I need to make it happen. And, and I think I just got to focus, you know, like yeah. uh, the cool thing about school is it definitely helped me bring my focus back together in general as a whole. Um, and so school came better skiing. It was awesome. So they kind of just came together. But now it's like, OK, now I got the drive again. Like, like, I don't know, like a drive that I just didn't have before um, without the school, which is kind of funny how it works. But now it's just like pull sand, let's just get after it and you know, make that world tour. It came, keep coming really close. So I think it's time. <laughs> so when you say get a little more focused, what's what's the gap between where you've been versus where that would be? Um, so I'd say just like having a lot to do, like makes it so that you're just like you're not dicking around sure and, and so you just like have to like constantly be you know um improving your process improving your like timeliness um just like your day-to-day -day process just gets better and then that like translates into like okay your intention and then mm -hmm. so like you know when i go up skiing like my intention is you know used to be just like oh we're just going to ski and now it's like okay i'm going to go up i'm going to go up to the top and i'm skiing top to bottom without stopping you know i'm yep. going to burn my legs like i'm turning skiing into a workout not just like going up there having fun like no like i'm trying to like get my legs strong i want to make sure i'm skiing faster than anybody just like you know make sure that i'm feeling every transition in the snow make sure like because like you know they kind of just that little difference between the not pros and the pros is just that smoothness so how do you mm -hmm. create that that flow and uh it's all about being able to see you know 10 20 feet in front of you but also having that reaction time which you know like i had do but like it gets better and better as you do more and more runs and then that's the cool thing about snowbird is you know you do one peruvian lap and it's four thousand feet right so like you get four thousand for every lap so it's like you have no excuse to like not be the strongest skier on the mountain <laughs> right right you said there's just like i caught so much in that so i want to unpack a handful of those things i think the first thing too is the intentionality like i know for me as a rider and again like i was nowhere that but it was amazing when you showed up to the mountain that day you're like okay so i want to get all four sevens you know front back switch you know and like if you were just intentional about what targets you set for the day 
it was amazing how much better the day of riding was. Mm-hmm. But you're right. A lot of people just like, they're like, I'm going to go riding today. And they show up and they're like, all right, I'm just going to willy nilly go down there. And that's kind of like life, right? But like when you come to the mountain to work, it changes the dynamic yeah. with you and what you're doing, both mentally and physically. I think, uh, yeah, it's funny. Like, you know, most people would be like, oh, your approach is work. Like, it's not going to be, it's no longer fun. I'm like, honestly, for me at this point in my career, it's like, I'm not really, like, I'm not really even doing it for fun anymore. I'm doing it because I want to win. <laughs> right. Well, and that's what I was going to say. Like, is like, I don't think people understand, like, to go when you want, it's fun. But when you go and have to go every single day, it does become work. And it's it has to be for something bigger than just work or fun. Yeah. You know, it's to win. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, when it comes to the the process mentally, right? Because I think a lot of people see skiers or snowboarders or extreme athletes, and I think they only think of like the physical side of things. They don't even consider the mental side of things. And you said a word in there that I know to be so true is the word flow. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of explain what that meant when you were like get into the flow of things? Yeah. So you know, there's the there's the flow state, obviously. So you know, you're like kind of once like you're just in that moment where nothing else is distracting you, like you're not thinking about anything but just the next step ahead. And, um, honestly you can like, you can increase that focus the more you do it. And so you just hop into that flow. It's just getting easier to hop into that flow state, hop into that flow state. Um, you know, if you're, when you're out of the flow state, especially in like competition, like, you know, your run's not going to go the way you want it to. You need, you need to like have imagined that run or like have like everything so dialed in that when you go into the run that you've already, you've already done it. Right. And, and that, that makes a huge difference. Um, and I noticed that this year, like, you know, like just how I pictured it, like I used to always picture like, okay, like how am I going to get to the cliff or how am I going to get to the jump? And then like what I'm going to do off it. And then I'm going to picture myself landing. But now I picture not only that, I picture every single turn. Like I, when I draw my lines on my little iPad or whatever on my picture, like if you watch the lines that I drew out and you watch, and then you watch my runs, they're almost exactly the same. Exactly. Right. You can just sit there, close your eyes and literally not only see it, you can feel it. Yeah. Right. And I think the other cool thing about flow, at least the times that I think I've experienced it, not only like your body can feel what you're in the moment, but you're not intentionally doing what's in the moment. You're literally thinking like you're saying, thinking five, six turns, hits, you know, moguls, landings ahead. And it's constantly calculating out as you're moving through further through that feeling right yeah yeah i mean uh, like you're definitely like in the that moment like you're like wherever you're at in the run like you're there but um like you know like it's like, it's, like you said it's, it's already happened and you are picturing like the next steps but then it's just like honestly you've pictured every part of that run so it's just now it's just putting it all together yeah, and, then, and then getting to the bottom and yeah. So to decide or describe the elements of this competition that you do skiing, because I think some people see it and they're like, oh, you just did a couple of things and you went to the bottom really fast. But it's so much more than that. Yeah. So uh, Freeride um, has been around for about 20 years. Um, it's you know, still in, in, in its roots. And we're just starting to figure out, like, how do we judge this? You know, because, you know, judging is hard. Because so yeah, subject it's subjective. Yeah, um, and so how they do it is we got a line score, which is basically the difficulty of your run. So like if you hit a cliff, if you go through a shoot, if you're skiing over exposure, those things are all things that can add to your line score. Um, and then you have fluidity. So like, did you stop above the cliff or did you just ski right off of it? Um, slash like, or did you stop and run for any reason for a crash or whatever? So anything that slowed your run down or slowed you down, that didn't seem natural. 
into your run, then that's the dock and fluidity. Um, and then you have control. So if you put your hand down, that's like a small control issue. If you back slap, now we're starting to get a little bit of a bigger issue. If you fall on yard sale, well, if you lose your ski, you're DQ. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, if you don't lose your ski, that's pretty much full loss control, and you're you're, yeah, you're just it's not gonna work out yeah. for you. Um, and then there's, um, sorry, technique. Oh yeah, and there's technique. So you know, do you look like a racer going down, or do you are you floppy and all over the place? And then the last one, which I think is the most important, is also starting to become more relevant, is overall impression. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, sometimes you just watch a run and you're like, oh, that's it. Like that was a run. You just get that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also, you know, you include tricks into the overall impression. And you also just, um, just like any sort of fun part, like, you know, if somebody does a little butter or something like that, you know, it's just kind of adding to the run, adding to the fun. Like, did it look like you were having fun or did it look like you were feeling like a chart, like you were charging? So like one of those two feelings, those vibes, adds that overall impression. Yeah. Uh, I heard everything you just said. I think half my audience is going to be like, wait, what? Backslap, butter. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you're good. I'm totally good. Um, but uh, the, the, we can we can kind of get at the style of it and just having fun. And you know, you can see a rider when they're just having fun, mm-hmm. especially at a high level versus, you know, working for it. Right? Yeah. And there's a big difference. And that, that makes sense to me. So does it make an, like, what's the difference between hitting, you know, say a 25 foot cliff and doing a backflip off a 25 foot cliff? What's the difference in score or potential in that situation? Because obviously for skiers, I would say, especially off a cliff, not to downplay it, but a backflip isn't like the most technical thing off of a cliff, you know, versus straighter. I think some people would probably rather backflip than just straighter off a cliff. Yeah. You know? Um, Yeah. I would agree with that sometimes. (laughs) Actually, most of the time. Um, I think that. Uh, it just adds to just like, you know, like that overall impression, just having that backflip just adds that overall impression score. And sometimes it can add to like your technique a little bit, um, just depending on how clean it was. Yeah. So like, you know, it's, it's, a lot of it just comes down to like how clean the run was. Like if, if you had a backflip, but you had a control issue or something like it's not going to be worth it. But <clears throat> you know, if you can't, if you're scared to straight air and you'd rather backflip then right. some people are like that too. <laughs> what do you think that is? Cause I a hundred percent, I, I, like especially like when you're testing like uh, especially i saw you were in slope style or you were in you know training park here recently i don't even care if it's a 20 foot table i would have rather done a three or a 180 than just straight air table or something like that there's something weird about that right like you don't want to just straight air no matter how big or how small not because it looks dumb it just it doesn't feel right mentally physically when you're going through the motions i think it's just because you're seeing the ground coming at you (laughs) Versus like if you're in a trick, you just come out of it and you're just looking for the landing. Right. That's how you feel. You're focused on setting the trick and then looking for the landing. Versus when you do a straight air, you're jumping up. Landing, landing. And you're looking, looking like, holy shit, that's like far away. (laughs) Oh, no. And then you get backseat. Yeah. And that's what happens. A lot of people like they'll like be like, oh, and then they kind of they like get scared while they're in the air and they they don't even realize it. But they're slowly just like like kind of like. That makes sense. Pulling their body away from the landing and then you backslap. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so like when you do go off like a jump on a straighter, you want to like almost like drive your hands forward right. and, and you want to like be like tight. And it's honestly harder to, s- to hold tight as a straighter than it is to just hop up because like when you pop, like that sets your landing. So like you land exactly how you take off, right? Right. And, and so if you're landing, if you're popping forward, you're going to land forward. And like, so if you come off the uh, cliff straight air and you're a little bit scared at all and you're any backseat, you're landing backseat. Yeah. So, but, and, there, and there's also no pop a lot of times when you do like a straight air. Right. Um, so like you just go off of it. So that's why like 
that little bit of difference of being forward or backwards makes a huge difference versus when you pop, you're going to land very likely how you popped off it. And you and, and if you've been doing tricks or anything like that for long enough, you're always going to pop forward mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're, and you're going to land right in, right in the position you want it. No, that makes sense. So, I mean, this free, free ski, right? I'm saying that right? Free ride. Free ride. Yep. Free ride. I mean, it's worldwide, right? Like there's a yep. lot of Europe and stuff like that that's going on. So mm-hmm. like what, you know, how many people are doing this like at a high level? Like what's, what's that stage of this? Like, cause like you're saying, we're the, still in the grassroots of this. Yeah. I would say on the, so there's, there's two regions. There's region one, which is the <laughs> European tour. Um, and that, and, and that can be <clears throat> most of Europe and also people from like Austria and, and um, New Zealand can also go to that tour. Uh, those people from Austria and New Zealand can also come to our tour, which is the North American tour. Um, and uh, we are region two. Uh, basically, I'd say there's probably more Europeans competing on their tour than there are on our tour. Um, they definitely have a lot more support, like monetarily. Um, like, you know, a lot of their stuff's like visual inspection, even in the four star level, um, which is like the level I'm at, which is like right below the world tour. Um, and then on our tour, uh, because of insurance, we're not allowed to do in visual inspection. So basically everything's on slope um, and just, just mainly just because of the insurance. But I'd say we have about a thousand people that are like signed up on like members of IFSA and then maybe maybe more. But then I'd say people that are actually like, you know, pretty serious about it, maybe a few hundred. And then we dwindle it down to about maybe a hundred of us that are in the tour I'm in because you have to qualify up. Right. And, and unfortunately with big mountain, it's just hard to run that many athletes uh, because you know, you got the time of day and you're also dealing with like weather. So a lot of times you have the fog rolls in and you got 40 athletes just in one category, which is the ski men, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to get everybody off. And sometimes you don't. And so like they've had to like find that fine line of letting enough people in to grow the sport, but also like, you can only go so big with it. So I don't know if it's going to be like multiple days or, you know, they're just trying to add more comps so the more people can go. Um, but I'd say like on like the real competitive tour, there's about a hundred of us that have made it and we about stay on and we've been competing against each other for the last few years trying to get to the world tour. And like you said, you just want to win and ultimately win to qualify to get to the next. Is that really the goal for you? Yeah. So make, make it to the world tour. Um, that would be just right there. That would be huge. Uh, and then, you know, once you make the world tour, you know, you want to win it. Um, and I'd say like, I never really like thought like winning the world tour was like the biggest deal for me. I think a lot of it was just like, I want to get on the world tour and then kind of go from there. Like, cause it's already a big enough. It's already been a big, big dream, big goal. And I put so much time and effort to it. So like winning North America series or being the top four in the North America series would be just, yeah, that'd be amazing, and it feels so good. Um, like we already have kind of our own version of the world tour here in North America with how competitive it is. Um, but yeah, you know, once you make the world tour, it's kind of like okay, sweet, I get to like travel Europe, I get to do all this cool stuff. Um, and I think this year, though, I, as the first year, I've been like, okay, actually, you know, maybe I could compete with some of these guys and try and go win it. <laughs> how far would you say you're away? Like, is it a certain amount of competition wins? Is it you know, is it just a certain amount of tricks that you're just, you know, pairing together, you know, with confidence? I think it's know, just, what's yeah. the gap? I think it's the mindset. Uh, like for me, the biggest thing, obstacle I've ever had was like definitely getting in my head. 
Um, like I've had times where I was standing at the top of my run, the wind's blowing, there's <laughs> snow coming, and it, you, just, you just get so nervous uh, that you all like, at least for me, it, it became debilitating. Um, like I would like almost like fall over because I was so lightheaded dropping into my runs. And then you get a few turns in, you kind of warm up, and, and then it would get better. But like starting a runoff like that is really tough. Yeah. Um, and if you if you do that like all the time, it's really draining and it just doesn't feel right. And, and you know, you can, you can lose motivation quick. But now that I've dialed in my headspace a little bit more, I think that's been kind of my biggest barrier because like I always felt like I had the skiing um, to make it happen. And, and, uh, like I have like the tricks and stuff like, you know, maybe like some people are definitely a little better at me than some stuff, but I think once it all comes together for me, um, I really have all the base things I need. Like I know I'm skiing fast enough. I'm skiing hard enough. Like I know my technique this last year, especially like it's come a long ways to where I'm just like, I can just like watch my runs. I see my flow. And I think that was, I think that's really what it came down to is like being able to like pick my run and like draw it out and then do the exact same thing like mm-hmm. when I went and did it and and like ha- being and like showing myself that I could do that and I can do it consistently this year uh kind of gave me like okay I am starting to feel like I could separate myself from the pack and like you know because like they're everyone's like really good and, like we're all so close so like every year it could be anybody's game but how do you make it where you're consistently the guy on top you know like and and you have to and to be able to separate yourself is really really tough with this crowd um, but I think that it comes down to the mindset and it also comes down to like figuring out that flow. Yeah. I love that. And so you said you've done some things to dial in your mindset, you know, get out of your own head, right? Just get in the moment, get to that flow, get rid of those nerves. What are some of those things that you've done? Um, I would say one thing is, uh, no substance abuse before your comp run. Sure, that <laughs> probably helps a lot. Which uh, is a big part of skiing. So, um, yeah. yeah. So, like, I, I'm, uh, I, I can't have like any of those distractions f- few days before. Um, Good. And then I would say, like, you know, you wake up, like, it's, it's also like having your run dialed and picking a run. Like, sometimes you're like, oh, I kind of like this line. I kind of like this line. And when you're scattered like that, it's hard for you to go into your comp day uh, fully confident, being like, oh, I know exactly what I want to do. Like now I'm like, okay, when I, I set a run, I'm like that's what I'm doing. If something changes in the morning, I, maybe I'll deal with it then, like with the conditions or whatnot. Right. But for the most part, it's like I have to be very intentional. Like that's the run I'm doing. I drew it out. I've imagined it the night before, like already 100 times. Um, and then you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, I already, I already did this. Right. Yeah. So now you just got to go go do it. So it's the it's the balance of like having this real specific path, but not being so rigid that if something little bumps off, which in your element of that sport, it could, yeah, right? All the time. That you just are able to stick to the flow and still stick into the bumper lanes. Maybe it wasn't exact rigid to the exact rail, yeah. but you were at least in there. So like real specific, but having just enough fluidity to make sure that it's not too rigid. Yeah, I mean, there's always adjustments, <laughs> but if you inspect your line, right, yeah you shouldn't have to make too many. Um, and I think there's definitely people that have different approaches to it. And some people are just able to get away with stuff, but just, uh, I guess I'm not one of those people. I, I, I need to have that like rigid structure, um, as much as possible. You sure. know, then the closer I get to that, the less nervous I am, get dropping in my run. And then I can just be like, I'd say also like calming myself too. Like I used to like 
get too stoked before I drop in. And sometimes I would just like overamp me. And then I was just like, ah, kind of freaking out going into my run. So I, I like have a little bit of like a yell, like, yeah, boys or something like that. Like, but it used to be like, I used to like have this big yell and like that just didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Everyone's kind of got that own like setting of like, how do they perform the best? Some people need like no stimulation, some people a little bit, and some people need a lot of stimulation. I'm one of those people, I'm kind of finding that I'm in the middle. I thought I thought I was like way up here. No, that didn't work for years. I kept thinking it would, but it didn't. Yeah. And so you just kind of kind of find that like perfect stoke level where you're dropping in, you get to take your first like warm up turn or two, and then it's like, okay, game on, let's go. Yeah. I was just going to ask you too, is like, is there any rituals that you have that get you into that, get your mindset right, you know, potentially continue it? Like if it's day before, a week before, like I know that I even had rituals before, you know, more, you know, more specific days of riding for me. Again, I didn't do anything crazy. I did a couple slope style, you know, competitions, that sort of thing. Nothing like what you do. Uh, but I did, I had rituals, like yeah. what I had for breakfast, the shorts I wore under my pants. Like, I mean, I, I was to that specific. Do you have any of those things? Yeah. So I, I wake up in the morning. First thing I do is I make my shake. So I have a daily shake that I drink and uh, that's changed my life for everything. So it's like, it's got all the base nutrients in it that I need. It's got, I do grass fed milk, uh, Greek yogurt. Um, I'll do power greens, frozen berries. And then I do like a mass gainer. Uh, like from naked mass so it's like three ingredients pretty pretty amazing stuff um and then pe- a little bit of peanut butter and then every once in a while you may maybe i'll add something else but that's pretty much it and as long as i have that it's about you know, 1400 calories in one of those shakes and then i'm like you know i'm set up because like sometimes i would be hungry dropping into my runs mm. but like i couldn't eat in the morning because my stomach's just too like nervous yeah. but with shake yeah you, know, you just drink it throughout the morning you know, by the time the team meeting's done or whatever, we figured out, you know, we're getting up for early load. I've already had 1400 calories. So having that food is huge. Like, cause you know, if you don't have it and then you drop in and you're all of a sudden like, why are my legs weak? It's like, Oh, it's cause you weren't eating all day. And with ski men, we always drop in at the end of the day, but everyone's so nervous that they almost never eat enough. And so like, that was a key part too, is just like, make sure you actually have that food. You, know, you wouldn't think it would affect, but it affect you too much, but it makes a huge difference when you're dropping in. I mean, <clears throat> It's a really extreme thing. It, your body's working really hard. Okay, our body needs fuel. Yeah, it, it makes sense. But yeah. I think honestly, like you're burning a ridiculous amount of calories just being so nervous. Oh, sure. All day. Yeah. I mean, not only are you burning calories being nervous, your body burns more calories when it's in the elements, mm-hmm. right? So when you're outside in the cold, so your body's working to keep itself warm, even though you have gear on and everything. And so, no, I mean that. I mean, you don't see riders that are too out of shape no you know, for the most part no no serious rider right and it's just no. because one they take care of their body because it's physical but then two the the elements that you're putting it in isn't a natural environment to enforce that yeah you know? skiing burns a lot more calories than people realize oh gosh yeah no it's crazy <laughs> you know even though you in most cases i mean especially if you earn your turns right like you burn a lot of calories that mm-hmm. way but like even riding up just riding down you burn a lot of calories for oh, sure yeah. any other rituals other than the shake um like basically, you know, I'll wake up in the morning, usually I'll just kind of hop on the phone, usually look at my line a few times, I'll imagine it, um, get up, I'll make my shake, you know, we go up, uh, walk up or drive up wherever we're going to go, get to the mountain. Uh, we have like usually some sort of morning team meeting, then you go up, uh, you go inspect your line that morning. And then after you inspect your line, you know, you're down at the bottom, just kind of looking at it, making sure everything is dialed in, looking at your pictures. Like it's, it's a lot of, it's like, it's definitely a whole process that happens every single comp. And you're just kind of getting those like fine tuning details in. 
Uh, you wait for everybody. To, I, personally, I wait for as many writers to go through and inspect as possible so I can see what kind of changes are going to happen after the people have gone through and destroyed the snow. Yeah. <laughs> That's the downside to our, our competition series that you, know, you get people that go like ride in your landings and stuff like that. So you just got to like, you know, so if you can be the most prepared for that, like it's just like based, just like little preparation stages, making sure that I'm kind of getting everything dialed in my head so that when I drop in, I'm not nervous because any sort of detail that's missing, that's where I get in my head. I'm like, Oh fuck, I feel really good about this run, but I'm just like this one thing. And if I can get that one thing figured out in my head before I drop in makes all the world difference. Yeah. Top of mountain crossing the finish line. What's the average time? About 40 seconds. 40 seconds. Maybe a little, like in. How? Not. So, how much time would you say you put in? How many days, weeks, months do you put into a competition? Oh, put 25 years into it. I get that. <laughs> no, but, like, uh, competition to competition, <laughs> when you're planning a line, you know. Um, like, between competitions? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, you got one, you know, you got, you, know, you show up maybe a day. Um, maybe show up like a day or two before the competition depending on you know what your schedule is like uh so you're up you go up there the day before you get to go through the venue and inspect you don't get to hit any of the features or anything and then so that's when you're dialing in the line and then you go and compete the next day sometimes you have two days if you're lucky um but like yeah. that you know you don't really get like you know sometimes they'll send out a picture it's usually a crappy picture though yeah and so like you'll kind of like start coming up with ideas maybe three days four days in advance the nice thing for me is that I've been doing this long enough that I pretty much competed almost every venue in North America. So, um, yeah, I know them pretty well. Uh, but like, yeah, I mean, you know, the preparation is probably like two, three days. Right. I get the whole life thing. But to think like two or three days of absolute like mental preparation yeah. and then the physical somewhat connects to it. But it's, like you said, it's way more mental than physical for 40 seconds. It's just yeah. impressive, right? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I mean, that's like most Olympians, like obviously that's an extreme four years for, you know, maybe a 13 second race or something yeah. like that, it's you know, wild. but it is wild, but like, it's still that level of like mental and physical competition in the practice and the discipline leading to that is just such a cool endeavor. Yeah. It's definitely, it's a buildup, you know, <laughs> you know, you got your summer training, then you do uh, fall, and that's when dryland kicks in. You know, you train with all the kids, and then next thing you know, ski season's around, and you get maybe like a month and a half, two months for your first competition to like just like kind of hone everything in as much as you can, and then bam, it's the first competition, and then you're on then you're on the road for two months, and uh, yeah, like you know, you pretty much have that training time, and and the last two years I kept hurting my knee and some of that training time, so I would miss a lot of that. And just miss even missing a week or two because it's such a short time period you have to like really dial things in like can make all the world a difference because any little bobble any little mistake in your run like that's the end of it yeah and you said you know dry land or you know off season training like you're what rollerblading trampolining like you know all for the purpose of you know skiing mm -hmm. right every summer yeah yeah I live four minutes from a Woodward so we got the, one of the best training facilities in the world. Um, just go hopping on the trampolines, you know, practicing my tricks, going left tricks, right tricks, you know, just making sure that and I don't have to do anything super crazy because in Big Mountain you can't like, you know, you're not yeah. doing doubles or anything, but no. you do, you do need to just have like your air awareness down. Like I'll even just like go jump on the trampoline, see how high I can get. And then just like go do a straighter because honestly straighters are tough. Yeah. Like, and so, you know, you're 40, 40 feet in the air on a trampoline, you're holding it tight and you're trying not to wobble. A lot of times you like move to the left, move to the right, be a little forward, be a little back. So like finding that center of balance, you know, throughout the summer really helps, especially when you start getting to those bigger cliffs during the winter. 
Is there any sort of skiers like in that competition where like they have come from like, cause I think skiing is a lot like maybe even you like fighting and that's a way different thing. But like, you know, one has a background in wrestling, one has a background in jujitsu, mm-hmm. but then they make it to UFC and they really dominate because they had that foundation. Is there some element of that in skiing? Was it ski racing? Is it like people that committed slope style for a long time that went to that? Like, is there an element that gives these people a, maybe a somewhat of an edge that you see in the competition. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really just different. Like, you know, the, the <laughs> mogul skiers I think have a really big edge because sure. you know, they have to be super strong. They have to be able to go super fast through crappy train and they have to do tricks. And right. so like, you know, that's a lot of big mountain right there. So moguls is definitely a, like a similarity in that sense. But, uh, then you got the racers, like, you know, as long as they have learned how to do the racing turns off piste, like, you know, then you get those big, beautiful racing turns down the mountain and these people are just flying. And so yeah. like those people like to go really, so like, there's just like different ways to approach it. Um, the slope style guys, you know, like they might have be able to do a double backflip or off a trick or off a off cliff where I, I'm, you know, I could maybe do it, but like, you know, they've been doing it on a, tra- on a trampoline and on jumps for their whole lives. So like for them, a double backflip is like nothing. Right. And so they can just go do it. And so it's, it's really just depends like definitely advantages to, um but that's the cool thing about free ride is it's a collaboration of it all you know like how it's a mix of like how good can you ski how much how many tricks can you do can you jump off cliffs um you know can you can you go through the moguls can you go through ice patches can you go through you know changes in variation in the snow uh, or like if you hit a rock are you able to recover without going down you know like right. there's just so many variables on the big mountain um you know you don't get to see everything underneath the snow you don't get to feel all the snow you know it, it changes from the top to the bottom you know it could be rock hard at the top and slushy at the bottom and you know i had one run where i had like probably best run of my life uh kicking horse and i was skiing all the way down and i did a 180 in the finish line and uh, all of a sudden it turned into just like sticky gross snow and it took me down and i was just, just messing around but that was the end of my run just because you know just that simple change didn't even think about it and i would never even thought about it even just like a normal day skiing and I hit that patch of snow and the next thing I know I was on my side. I'm like, well, there we go. Like it was like one of the best runs of my life. And I just stupid little 180 into some sticky snow. Yeah. Good learning lesson for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you deal like, you know, what I, you know, where we could wrap this up and then I have a couple other things, but when it comes to the element of judging, like you said, cause it is there, it's not specific. It's not binary. You know, it's not one Oh one Oh, how do you deal with the mental, the mental defeat or the potential pitfalls of where like you feel like you crushed it and then maybe your score didn't reflect that. I feel like that's something that a lot of athletes that operate in that space have to hone in. Yeah. Um, you know, actually, uh, it got, it got to me this year actually for the first time in a long time. Um, I had, I had a run that I was really proud of. Uh, definitely didn't think I deserved what I got, but I, uh, you know, it took me about a day or two to get over it. You know, sometimes it makes you want to quit. Sometimes, sometimes you're just like, this is just, just like, this is like, doesn't make sense. Like I did everything right. And, uh, yeah, no, I, no, I had, I had a little, little mini outbursts with myself, you know, nothing crazy, but you know, like it freaked out a little bit and uh, I hadn't had something like that happen in a long time. But you know, when you're getting to this competitive level and you're, and you're getting that close, it's, it's hard not to, but you know, you just, those little outbursts happen and then, and then you kind of just like, rewire and you're like well all right you know i guess you know it takes maybe an hour for me now and then after that i'm just like okay just gotta take a deep breath you know it's it's not the end of the world and uh 
best thing for me right now that's helped with that a lot is just like knowing that like I have a, a, another career path that I'm, I'm chasing. So sure. I have a backup plan. Sure. <laughs> that's been, that's been huge. Cause before when I didn't have a backup plan, you know, it's like crap, man, this is everything. And like, it's right. just not happening. And it's just like, Oh my God. But like, if you have like, you know, some sort of thing to like, you know, operate with outside of just, just the competing, it, it helps a lot. Cause you know, some, some competitors, you see what happens to them when they, when they decide to quit and they just get over it, but they don't have like a backup plan and, uh, extreme sports, you know, or people are definitely, you know, into taking things very far, whether that be a career or drugs and alcohol. <laughs> yeah. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Well, I wish we had more time chance because this is just, I enjoy this conversation so much, but I would love to know, you know, what are, what's, what's maybe one of the best single pieces of advice that you've been given in life? Hmm. Or if it's currently on your mind, it's like, you know, an affirmation or something that's been, you know, working for you well. Honestly, just, uh, um, let's say Jocko Willink and with extreme ownership and discipline equals freedom, those things have taken me further than I ever thought I could go, especially when I came to school and came to like just being focused and, and realizing that, you know, I could... I can do a lot more than, than I thought. Like, you know, I, I don't just have to be a skier. I don't just have to be a, um, a scholar. I can, I can do pretty much anything I set my mind to. And, 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 uh, you know, you realize that the most successful people are able to do multiple careers and, and multiple paths. And so, yeah, I think that like, you know, that. just if the more discipline you have and the more you take ownership of like what's happening in your own life, uh, you realize that like, you know, you have a lot of time to actually dial things in and make right. things happen. Right. Uh, take it or leave it. But, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a fan of people that do well in things and work really hard for it. And I'm a fan of Mark Wahlberg. And he talks about how once you find a way to make success, it's transferable in anything. Right. You know, so he did it in a hip hop career that led into an <laughs> acting career that led now into a, a very successful clothes brand mm -hmm. career. And so it's just this. Really and and um, actually, he works. He, uh, we're doing Mark Wahlberg week at 45 right now. That's oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. City. Well, at 45, you know, mm -hmm. so he's a huge contributor and big part of F45. And so it, it's really cool. Like I completely adopt what you're saying is, is if you can find it, I don't care what it is. You know, and if you can find the what what success means for you, it can transfer in a lot of things. And I know I've seen that in my life. You yeah, know, you know, and so that so that's really cool. Well, yeah. it's interesting, cool thought. I like that. Chance, I appreciate having you on, man. Yeah. I, I, we can definitely do it again. I know you're not here often. I do these things remote, so maybe the next one we'll have to do like over a Zoom or something like that. Cool. Yeah, totally, of course. All right, man. Anytime. Thanks.